If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of May 7, 2023. The podcast that does heavy metal in Dublin. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's acidify the news of the bogus. Back when the vaccine mandates began, a certain person with a certain podcast mentioned that this is exactly how you get anti-vaxxers. Anthony Fauci now realizes what we warned about from the very beginning. He acknowledged that the vaccine mandates he promoted fueled vaccine hesitancy and were, quote, counterproductive. In his most extensive interview to date, he told the New York Times, quote, Something clearly went wrong. What went wrong was the denial of the anti-authoritarianism of science to put a single person forward as the face of public health, especially one who at one point exclaimed, quote, I am the science. We should have learned the lessons of long ago. Our founders were very well acquainted with epidemics and pandemics and drew on thousands of years of trial and error to learn what worked and what didn't. As we pointed out when all this began, the founders, who had lived through smallpox, influenza, typhus, yellow fever, and many others, still put the right to peaceably assemble in the First Amendment. And by the time antibiotics and vaccines had finally caused regular epidemics to abate by the 1950s, We'd learned a lot of lessons from mistakes. From the Black Death to the 1918 Spanish flu, one thing was clear. Lockdowns didn't work. What did work? Quarantine the sick, protect the at-risk, and let everyone else get on with their lives. Yet the experts who advised exactly that got vilified and censored off of social media while Fauci advocated for every authoritarian measure we had already learned not only didn't work, but just made things worse. As for vaccines, what are people supposed to think when, throughout the Delta and Lambda variants, when the vaccine was still working and causing transmission rates to drop to the level of herd immunity, Fauci and the news media fear-mongered over its effectiveness, saying, no, we still need to lock down even with the vaccine, only to backpedal and say, of course the vaccine is totally perfect and how dare everyone say otherwise when Omicron hit, which did get past vaccine immunity. It even got past natural immunity and infected people who'd had COVID before, including your humble host. Now they're pushing the bivalent vaccine, which includes the original obsolete vaccine, as well as Omicron, even though the Omicron immunity is apparently no barrier to new variants, from the BQ variants to the XBB variants. Oh, but that's okay, say the authorities. Just get six jabs, cause that'll totally work. New York Times interviewer David Wallace Wells said he found Fauci to be, quote, defensive, even combative. Especially when it came to both the vaccine and Fauci's work with gain-of-function research, which he dishonestly denied to Senator Rand Paul. When he wasn't berating Republicans and saying it was all their fault, he was having to respond to Wallace Wells' point that many countries in East Asia had much better results than the U.S. and Europe, without the mandates and lockdowns. And even European countries that didn't have the divisiveness that the U.S. did performed poorly. 
At one point, Fauci responded, quote, There was this smoldering level of suspicion and that divisiveness in the country. And then there was the whole idea of people not getting vaccinated and then came mandating. I think, almost paradoxically, you had people who were on the fence about getting vaccinated thinking, why are they forcing me to do this? He also distanced himself from the lockdowns, quote, I happen to be perceived as the personification of the recommendations, but show me a school that I shut down and show me a factory that I shut down. Never. I never did. I gave a public health recommendation that echoed the CDC's recommendation, and people made a decision based on that. Of course, it was a lot worse than that, from giving conflicting information over the effectiveness of masks and working to quash dissenting opinions over how we should respond to the pandemic, to doing everything he could to stop the investigation into the possibility of SARS-CoV-2 being the result of a lab leak, Fauci was very much at the center of the disinformation and censorship that just kept going for two years. Meanwhile, people are seeing that the side effects of the vaccine just aren't worth the benefits, especially not when they sometimes tell us to get six or more shots of a vaccine against variants that are long gone. Even Fauci is realizing that mandates don't work, that lockdowns don't work, and the only thing he needs to do now is start being an honest and decent human being and take his share of the responsibility for this economic and public health disaster. The next time something like this happens, there should be one rule followed above all others. Reject authoritarianism. If you're looking for a way to support this channel, but you don't have any spare cash and you can't stand ads, you can do so by generating your own cryptocurrency. Use the links at the bottom of the description to follow the link to odyssey.com to listen to the podcast and see all of my YouTube videos as well. Just watching videos will produce cryptocurrency for the creator and yourself. And since Odyssey is always monetized and never censored, you'll have no problem seeing all the videos from your favorite creators. You can also use the library credits you create at Odyssey to tip creators and even purchase paid content. Earn library credits through various rewards, including daily view rewards and the number of shares and invites. And you can interact with creators in all sorts of ways, including like and dislike, comment, boost a post by supporting it, repost it, and share to other sites, all while earning crypto for the creator. Easily monetize yourself and your favorite creators using cryptocurrency without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com and see many of your other favorites there as well. Here's one that's interesting. The Supreme Court has said it will hear a case that would scale back major federal authoritarianism known as the Chevron Doctrine. Chevron USA v. Natural Resources Defense Council in 1984 said that any time a statute was ambiguous, courts were to defer to the interpretation used by federal administrative agencies. This flies in the face of centuries-old common law doctrine known as the rule of lenity, which says that any ambiguity in the law should always favor the interpretation most favorable to the defendant. The Chevron doctrine has been criticized the most by the conservative justices, and now they have granted certiorari to a case that will put it to the test. 
Loper Bright Enterprises is a Texas company providing pipeline construction, maintenance, safety training, and other services to the energy industry. They've received numerous awards for their record on safety and environmental practices. A regulation from the National Marine Fisheries Service on herring fishing boats requires a federal observer to be able to board the boats to oversee operations. Loper, joined by a number of commercial fishing companies, claims the regulation significantly decreases their profit margin and that the NMFS had no authorization to impose it. But the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled in favor of the government, saying essentially, Duh, they said they do, so they must. They appealed to the Supreme Court, and at least four justices have agreed to take the case. And they have a really good chance. Clarence Thomas said in 2015 in a concurring opinion in Michigan v. EPA that the Chevron Doctrine forces courts, quote, to abandon what they believe is the best reading of an ambiguous statute in favor of an agency's construction. It thus wrests from courts the ultimate interpretive authority to say what the law is and hands it over to the executive branch. Last November, Neil Gorsuch, in dissenting in the denial of cert in Buffington v. McDonough, said, quote, We should acknowledge forthrightly that Chevron did not undo and could not have undone the judicial duty to provide an independent judgment of the law's meaning in the cases that come before the nation's courts. Someday soon, I hope we might. In fact, a 2017 research paper published by the William S. Boyd School of Law said, quote, If one counts King v. Burwell, all nine justices have at least once signed an opinion explicitly holding that Chevron should not apply in a situation where the administrative law textbooks would previously have said that it must apply. Of course, the court has changed since then, but one of the newer justices is Gorsuch himself, and Kavanaugh has also questioned the doctrine. Brown has said she will recuse herself since she heard oral arguments in the case when she was a D.C. Circuit judge. We don't know how Barrett feels about the doctrine, but it's looking good for a supermajority decision, maybe even a unanimous one. We can hope, at least. We'll see how it goes. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government censors. It's essential in this day and age. So go to vpn.pagosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. Something else that deserves to go the way of Dred Scott is the ban on so-called assault weapons. As ill-defined as they were before, and therefore should have been void for vagueness, the idea that since Bruin they're anything but a blatant Second Amendment violation is laughable. 
The Firearms Policy Coalition has announced they filed a motion against Washington State's ban in a case known as Hartford v. Ferguson. In their motion for a preliminary injunction, they wrote, The banned firearms certainly qualify for protection under the Bruin Standard. They include the most popular rifles in the country, and estimates suggest there are tens of millions in the United States today. As such, there is no possible justification for Washington's unconstitutional ban. And because the law plaintiff's challenge is unconstitutional, they are entitled to a preliminary injunction to stop it from going into effect. Not only are they likely to succeed on the merits, but the threatened constitutional violation of plaintiffs' rights to acquire firearms and to supply their customers with the same would be irreparable if it were to occur, and public interest always favors the injunction of unconstitutional laws. Bill Sack, the FPC's Director of Legal Operations, said, quote, If lawmakers around the country insist on continuing to thumb their noses at the Constitution and the Supreme Court, FPC will have no choice but to continue to meet them on the courthouse steps. The adoption of the Second Amendment necessarily takes certain policy positions off the table. Put simply, these decisions have already been made by the people. Legislators simply do not have the authority to ban the vast majority of commonly owned arms with the swipe of a pen. In the complaint, they wrote, Here, defendants will be unable to meet their burden. Heller and Bruin have already established the only historical tradition that can remove a firearm from the Second Amendment's protective scope, the tradition of banning dangerous and unusual weapons. But to be banned, a firearm must be both dangerous and unusual, arms that are in common use, as the firearms Washington has banned unquestionably are, are neither unusual nor dangerous. Therefore, they cannot be banned, and the Washington laws challenged herein must be declared unconstitutional. Among the distinguishing features of a so-called assault weapon in this law includes a detachable or independent grip, thumbhole stock, folding or telescoping stock, or a threaded barrel. In other words, nothing that actually makes the gun more dangerous. It also includes features that make it easier for people with range-of-motion disabilities to use the firearm, including a forward or vertical grip, or a muzzle brake or anything else that reduces recoil. And yes, as we've always seen with such laws, safety features including flashcards, sound suppressors, and barrel shrouds. None of these, by the way, are assault rifles, automatic weapons, or machine guns. They mention the emotional yet meaningless appeal to military-style weapons, quote, A comparison to firearms used by the military demonstrates just how disingenuous the assault weapon moniker is. According to the United States Army, for example, the maximum effective rate of fire for various M4 and M16 series firearms is between 45 and 65 rounds per minute in semi-automatic mode, the only mode available to an AR-15 user. In contrast, an M16 can fire 150 to 200 rounds per minute in automatic mode. They also respond to the laughably dumb claim that the AR-15 fires this horribly destructive round that can make things explode and even decapitate someone, quote, it has been argued that the 223 Remington 556 by 45 NATO rounds are incredibly destructive, and that bands like Washington's are necessary for that reason. But there are two major flaws with this claim. First, and most basic, 
is that the Washington ban, like the other laws it mimics, does not say anything about what ammunition may or may not be used. Firearms that use the 223 round but lack the banned features may still be bought in Washington, and firearms that have the banned features but shoot even much smaller ammunition are still banned. If the concern is the ammunition, the Washington ban does not address it. Second, the destructive power of these rounds is greatly overstated. Claims that these cartridges can decapitate or dismember can be traced to a U.S. military report from Vietnam in 1962, which described theatrically grotesque wounds, which the Army's Wound Ballistic Laboratory tried, but could not ever replicate no matter what they did. Combat veterans with significant experience with the ammunition in question have derided the claims that these are powerful rounds, noting instead that the rounds are often considered by soldiers to be too small to be adequate for use in war. The complaint also discusses the safety features, quote, The rifles that Washington bans as assault weapons are, in all respects, ordinary semi-automatic rifles. To the extent they are different from other semi-automatic rifles, their distinguishing features make them safer and easier to use. But even if they are considered as a separate group of assault weapons, they cannot be banned because they are not dangerous and unusual. They've been joined in the lawsuit by the Second Amendment Foundation and several individual defendants. Best of luck to them. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain or regulations passed in the name of safety and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. And now it's time to lithify this week's biggest bogan emitter. And this week it goes to the Democrats of my home state, North Carolina, who just proved there are no lengths they'll go to in order to preserve their ever-dwindling power in the state. The case, known alternately as Moore v. Harper and Harper v. Hall, is a case about district gerrymandering. We've covered this before, even with respect to the old North state. Democrats have complained that the districts drawn by Republicans are gerrymandered in a partisan fashion. And in fairness, they are, but they're not anywhere near as bad as when Democrats were in power. So, quick pricey on the issues involved. The U.S. Supreme Court has struck down racial gerrymandering as a violation of the Equal Protection Clause, but has said that the issue of partisan gerrymandering is left exclusively for each state to decide. The first time in North Carolina history Republicans got to redraw the districts was in 2017. Before that, the districts drawn by the Democrats were completely laughable. 
I've linked to one in the show notes so you can see for yourself. Repeatedly, the Supreme Court struck down their districts for racial gerrymandering, especially regarding that long, crinkly district that snakes up I-85, which was pretty much drawn exclusively to elect Mel Watt. Sandra Day O'Connor said that this district was, quote, "...so bizarre on its face that it is unexplainable on grounds other than race, and thus was subject to strict scrutiny." And they found that over and over and over again. But at least three of these districts have prominently featured in nationwide stories on ridiculous cases of gerrymandering. All brought to you by the Democrats of North Carolina. So finally, when in 2017 the districts were yet again struck down as unlawful racial gerrymanders, and when Republicans for the first time in the state's history had control of both the state, House, and Senate, they got to redraw the district. They were still gerrymandered, but they were at least better, and since it was just partisan gerrymandering and wasn't racial, the federal courts ended up having no say. Then came the 2021 redistricting as a result of the 2020 census, which was struck down by the state Supreme Court as an unconstitutional partisan gerrymander. New maps were drawn, which were upheld by the court. That takes us to today. State Democrats are still freaking out about losing their incredibly gerrymandered districts and are complaining about a loss of equal representation due to the redistricting resulting in a racial gerrymander. In other words, because they weren't doing racial gerrymandering, they were doing racial gerrymandering. And the North Carolina Supreme Court has had enough of it. Draw it one way and you favor Democrats. Draw it another, and you favor Republicans. Either way, someone can complain about gerrymandering. So they overturned their ruling of the previous year as illogical and unworkable. Quote, Today we return to the text of the state constitution, correct our course, and come back to the proper understanding and application of our fundamental constitutional principles. There is no judicially manageable standard by which to adjudicate partisan gerrymandering claims. Courts are not intended to meddle in policy matters. In its decision today, the court returns to its tradition of honoring constitutional roles assigned to each branch. This case is not about partisan politics, but rather about realigning the proper roles of the judicial and legislative branches. Today we begin to correct course, returning the judiciary to its designated lane. In other words, district drawing is solely a legislative function. Of course, what no one in the legislature seems to be advocating for is what most experts advise, a computer algorithm based solely on population data and county and other municipal lines, with no regards for race or party. So all of that makes the Democrats of North Carolina this week's biggest Boganimeter. I want to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. To save money while still getting quality glasses, I get them from Fermu. In fact, I just got a pair of progressives with high-index aspherical lenses and a nice pair of frames my wife loves for just over $100. It would have been $500 to get them through my eye doctor. Not only do they look good, the glasses are durable. I've worn many pairs for several years without problems. 
All orders come with a 30-day return policy, a three-month warranty, and one-on-one customer service. Go to Firmu, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmu dot Bogosity dot TV. And now let's downrate this week's Idiot Extraordinary. And it's another one for the Tar Heel State, this time the legislature proffering a bill that would allow cops to track cell phones in real time without a warrant. Just in case there were any doubts that Republicans suck too. The Supreme Court said years ago that warrants are absolutely needed for cell phone location info, even if it's limited to cell sites and even if it's historical data and not real time. But the North Carolina House has passed 113 to 1, plenty of Democrat suckage too, a bill that would, quote, allow the SBI to use a pen register or trap and trace device in emergency situations. According to Republican Representative Dudley Green, former sheriff of McDowell County, quote, it's an emergency tool in very limited circumstances. Yeah, sure, we believe you. Eh, maybe it's not his fault. It's McDowell County. That thin mountain air might not be getting enough oxygen to his brain. Of course, that doesn't excuse the rest of them. We are absolutely assured that the reason for the law is to find kidnapped or runaway children. Ah, yes, the children! Won't someone think of the children? It's not a warrantless wiretap, but what it would do is allow real-time tracking of the location of a cell phone as well as information about any other cell phones it interacts with. That last part would generally fall under a pen register order, which the Supreme Court stupidly decided with the third-party doctrine is information voluntarily shared with telcos. But this is location data, and that's a different animal entirely. Effectively, this law gives them the power to track anyone at any time without a warrant. And despite their claims that it's just about kidnapped children, the law actually says it can be done under, quote, reasonable suspicion to believe that a felony offense or a Class A1 or Class 1 misdemeanor offense has been committed. It's also not to exceed 60 days. 60 days is a lot when you're talking about real-time government surveillance, but guess what? They can get an extension for an additional 60 days. It still has to pass the Senate, but given the vote in the House, it looks like it will, and fat chance Governor Roy Cooper will veto it. The man never met a governmental power he didn't like. They want real-time tracing of all of us, and they say it'll only be used in the most limited of circumstances. They're either incredibly stupid, or they think we are. So all of that makes the North Carolina House this week's Idiot Extraordinary! Well, that wraps up this It's the Worst Show in Town edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogosity.tv to join the discussion. Subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar and you can listen early and ad-free. Thank you for listening. 
Until next time, here's a quote from Edward Snowden. There's this argument that we hear again and again, country after country, language after language. You can hear this in Spanish, you can hear this in English, you can hear this in Russian, you can hear this in Chinese. They say, it doesn't matter how much power the government has. It doesn't matter how much they're spying on you. If you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear. Don't worry about it. We're only going to use these powers against criminals. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Derivatives 4.0 International License. Bogosity.